You're listening to CISD on SOAS Radio. So our, ne- our, um, sort of our second section is going to be introducing uh, current Chinese policy uh, towards uh, North Korea. Well, my name is Deep Sang. I am the uh, director of the China Institute here at SOAS. And the focus that I have, I'm afraid, will be not particularly personal, no personal experience to share with you there. But in terms of whether China will help to solve the North Korean missile and nuclear crisis. And I will start off by um, addressing China's policy. China's policy is very simple, very straightforward. No war, no chaos, no nuclear weapons. Well, it's not actually... uh, When we drill down, then it's what the official articulated policy and the reality, there's a gap. They're not quite so straightforward. But the formal policy is clear, and they are advocating a freeze-for-freeze arrangement, which is that the North Koreans should freeze the nuclear and long-range missile program. Short-range missile is fine. Long-range missiles, in return for the Americans to stop their military exercises in South Korea. Sounds very fair. Uh, except that one has already developed the nuclear capability, and the other ones has having talking about their regular, long-standing military exercises, which is something that if you don't continue, then you st- stop to have the c- capacities to coordinate. So that's an interesting comparison. And the Chinese government also uh, argues that China should not be seen as the key to the solution. Uh, this becomes much more of an issue with the Trump administration than with the previous Obama administration because Obama's approach was essentially one of strategic patience, meaning basically to put North Korea on the back burner and not do anything about it, and therefore not really that much pressure being put on the Chinese uh, to try to find a solution. The Trump administration is essentially saying that China should be doing a hell lot more and China should be doing a hell lot more, and China must do a hell lot more. And that's why the Chinese government come up and say that, well, no, really, it's not very reasonable or realistic to expect us to um, manage North Korea and find a way out of the North Korean crisis. There's a strong element of actually managing expectation. Again, if you drill down, then you have real issues of how do the North Koreans get to where they are today. That the original nuclear programs receive a lot of help from the AQ Khan network in Pakistan, which got their original uh, nuclear technology from the Chinese. And how do you actually manage to fly from Pakistan to North Korea if you do not fly over Chinese airspace? And of course, all Chinese airspace is managed by the People's Liberation Army. So you can draw your own conclusion as to what it meant. And if you look at the kind of uh, solid fuel that the North Korean use, where do they get them from? And not all, a lot of the uh, vehicles that carry the mobile missiles in North Korea are indigenous, they look very funny. But you have a few that looks rather familiar so one say, mm-hmm. and you've seen that before from somewhere else in some other spectacular military parades, and you wonder how that get there. And we have to also acknowledge that until Kim Jong-un caused all the big problems in the last few years, the problems of North Korea really actually worked to China's advantage. Remember the six-party six talks, which was really still continuating right through the end of the George W. Bush administration into the early, earlier part of the Obama. And when who hosts the six-party talks? Beijing, China. And the fact that Beijing was hosting and organizing the six-party talks gave Beijing, China, a lot of leverage and standing in the international community. So that wasn't such a bad thing. Um, 
And at that point, there was also no nuclear blackmails being directly applied by the North Koreans. So the Chinese were relatively comfortable with that. Um, whether they ever intended the six-party talks to actually result in what Christopher Hill wanted to achieve. Christopher Hill was the chief American um, negotiator and the uh, assistant secretary of state for Asia. Now, that's basically what China's official policy is. And I would suggest to you that China will not try to resolve the nuclear and missile crisis in North Korea. And this is not with, notwithstanding some of the more clearly articulated Chinese policies and ambitions. In the 19th Party Congress of the Communist Party, which took place last month, Xi Jinping made it very clear in his opening speech that China would now expect to, play, to take center stage in global affairs. And if China is going to take center stage in global affairs, one logical conclusion will be that China will try to resolve a problem like North Korea, because it is one of the most serious and pressing major international issues that the international community need to find a solution. How better for a new rising Greek power to request and require the rest of the world to acknowledge that it enjoys and deserves to enjoy center stage in global affairs by resolving an issue that it has more leverage than any other powers. So if that official policy is to be taken seriously, logically, China will go and resolve that problem. Now, it doesn't apply. I think it doesn't apply for a whole number of reasons. And first of all, I think we have to look at the reality. In terms of relationship that China has with the two Korean governments, which enjoys a better relationship with China, or put it the other way around, with which Korea does China enjoy a better relationship? It's not its closest ally to North Korea. It's South Korea. China enjoys remarkably good relationship with South Korea. China's trade with South Korea is enormous. China may be the largest trading partner of North Korea by a long way, but North Korean trade is a drop in a bucket to Chinese trade. North Korea is economically not significant to China. South Korea is. And the South Korean government is much better disposed to the Chinese, at least in terms of listening to what the Chinese government has to say, even when the Chinese government is less than entirely reasonable, lies the issue of the current dispute over that, the uh, uh, missile defense systems that the Americans have put and deployed in South Korea. Uh, it doesn't seem terribly reasonable on the part of the Chinese government to say that when South Korea is facing a major missile and nuclear-tipped missile threat from its neighbor, that it cannot deploy a missile defense systems for self-protection. For the reasons that that missile defense system has a radar system that can penetrate air, Chinese airspace and therefore monitor Chinese military activities and can relay that back to the Americans. The Chinese never accused the South Koreans of ha having any military ambition against China, which of course would have been nonsense anyway. And the Chinese accusation is still nonsense because the Chinese airspace is the most monitored airspace by the United States uh, Air Force and Navy and other strategic 
assets. So the deployment of that will have very, very marginal effect on the American capacities to monitor Chinese airspace anyway. It might improve slightly, but very, very marginal. And in return, the Chinese imposed trade sanctions and all sorts of uh, punishments on the, North on the South Korean companies. And what did the South Korean government do? Nothing. Can we talk, please? It's a good neighbor. South Korea is a very good neighbor of China. North Korea is not. When Xi Jinping sent his envoys to uh, Pyongyang to report to a fraternal state about what happened at the 19th Party Congress, the distinguished Chinese envoy did not even get a cup of tea, as the Chinese social media would point out. It's to that degree of discourtesy. Um, why then would the Chinese still be so much in favor of the North Korean regime than what a, than look at an alternative or deal with find other solutions or resolve the problem. Well, one possible alternative argument is because China now no longer have much leverage. Now, China used to have huge amount of leverage in North Korea. Um, and now, officially, it has practically none because it's its intelligence network in North Korea has largely been, been broken, and almost anybody who is of any seniority in the North Korean regime who maintains very close relationship with the Chinese government, including Kim Jong-un's uncle, have been eliminated mostly by execution. So the Chinese have a lot less leverage. Ah, yes. A lot less leverage, but not no leverage. Um, all through the last 20, 30 plus years, the North Koreans had not paid due recognition and respect to the contribution the Chinese had made in the Korean War. China lost more men in combat in the Korean War than North Korea had lost in the population. It's enormous. China lost more soldiers defending North Korea than anybody else. China lost more soldiers than the rest of the uh, UN forces sustained, and including the North Koreans, because China sent in far bigger force. Sorry. Yes? Well, the civilian casualty, I, th I think I probably need to sort of be a bit more careful because I'm not quite sure the ex exact scale of the North Korean uh, civilian casualty. And how the Chinese casualties were enormous. The actual number of uh, Chinese soldiers killed were in the hundreds of thousands. About, I think over 30,000 were killed. And how many of them were injured? So we're, we're talking about very, very, very large casualties figures. Um, the Chinese government was actually not too unhappy about the loss of those casualties because most of the troops were former Guomindang troops that were being sent to North, North Korea anyway. So even though they have been rebatched, re-sworn their loyalty to the Communist Party, uh, they were still formally Chiang Kai-shek's army. Uh, a significant portion of them. But the point here really is that the North Koreans have always downplayed the Chinese role, which is why I asked Monica the question of what kind of memory she had of the Chinese. Positive, friendly, but no mention of how significant China played the role in the Korean War. So there's always been a slight exaggeration of China having overwhelming leverage over the North Koreans. Chinese never have overwhelming leverage over the North Koreans. They have even less now than they did previously. Well, unless the Chinese are prepared to do what the Chinese are not prepared to do, which is to cripple the North Korean economy. Uh, estimates is 
roughly 90% of North Korean trade now goes through China or is with China. So if your economy is 90% dependent in trade terms on the Chinese economy, you are very vulnerable. Uh, the Chinese can have that leverage if they really want to use it. Now, they are not. Um, they are not, not because they can't afford to, because that 90% of North Korean trade amounts to a tiny fraction of Chinese trade. So the damage to the Chinese economy itself is manageable. Now, could it be because the Chinese are fearful of a influx, massive influx of North Korean refugees to China in the event of major problems in North Korea, some kind of an implosion scenario? Okay, what would lead to a, a North Korean implosion scenario? Something terribly bad happens, the regime implodes. What will happen next? Is there any realistic chance of an implode North Korea that would not then be taken over by the South. So any credible implosion of regime scenario in North Korea would result in some kind of a unification. How that unification is to be achieved, we don't know. But a unification will happen. And in that unification scenario, South Korea will have to bear the blunt of the burden. It's almost inconceivable that the United States and Japan will not be sending a massive amount of aid and assistance to help South Korea to do so, for no better reasons than self-interest. There's very little question that any North Korean refugees that will flood into China will be at best treated as third, fourth, fifth-class citizens. They're not particularly welcome in China. And they know it. Would those North Korean refugees that flood into China not then go back to become second-class citizens in a united Korea? For the reality being what it is in a united Korea, North Koreans will be, at least in the initial years, second-class citizens in a united Korea. They will not be on the same standing as the South Koreans, who will have to be paying a lot for it. But for your average Koreans, being a third, fourth-class citizens in China, a foreign country, and being second-class in their own country, in their homeland, what would that be like? And even in the short term, the Chinese government would receive enormous international aid to deal with the refugee problems, if there is going to be one. And that refugee problem would be temporary. It would not be a long-term one because of the difficult-to-conceive-otherwise uh, scenario of how a post-implode North Korea scenario would be. So the refugee problem that is always being brandished in the media isn't terribly credible. That cannot be the real reason why the Chinese are so worried about it. Or maybe the, Chi the Chinese are concerned that with the implosion of North Korea, then China will lose a buffer stay. Because at the moment, the Americans are in South Korea, not in North Korea. And then if North Korea implodes, unification, then the, North, then the Americans will push all the way to the Yalu River and therefore next door right to China. Well, why would anybody seriously think that is a serious scenario? I mean, the Americans are deploying ground forces in South Korea as a trigger force to deter the North Koreans. There's no strategic reason why the Americans would want to keep the second infantry or elements of it in South Korea. MacArthur virtually did do that. I mean, MacArthur tried. was sacked for that. <laughs> MacArthur said that he should lead the UN forces or the American forces to cross the goddamn Yalu and give the bloody communist Chinese a bloody nose. He wasn't the only American general who was saying that, the record shows. Well, he, when, he, when he said that against the president's order, he was sacked. It's true. 
So policymakers has no intention, and certainly not after Korea, there was no American intentions to get involved in any ground war. Then they got sucked into Vietnam, and they said that was that was it. Never again will we want to be sucked into a ground war in in Asia if we could avoid it. They still have to. Sorry. And Afghanistan. <laughs> well, <laughs> and then you have Afghanistan. But that's but that's it now. <laughs> the same applies to China and this Vietnam War that it doesn't want to get sucked into another. Well, the Chinese don't want to be sucked into any war, uh, not of choice. North Korea, the Korean War was a was a war of choice for the Chinese. Because they they miscalculated, they misunderstood the American intention. Um, this is now in the in in the in in the archives. Now we know what Mao actually thought. Mm. At the time of the, uh, in fact, to the parrots to the Korean War, Kim Il Sung went to Moscow to seek permission from Stalin for the invasion, and Stalin said, "Yes, you can, provided Comrade Mao Zedong will agree to that. If Comrade Mao did not agree to that, you can't." So Kim Il Sung went to Beijing and asked for permission from. Chairman Mao and Chairman Mao said, "Go ahead. Good luck. Invasion happened with Mao's blessings. And when when the Americans stand um, overturns the earlier strategic declarations then Korean peninsulas were not in the American defense perimeter and got involved, Mao had a series of high-level meetings in Beijing, summoning nearly all the top generals, the field marshals, and there was a discussion as to whether China should involve in, in the Korean War. And even people like Lin Bell, one of China's best generals, said no, we shouldn't get involved in the Korean War, there's no reason why we should, and we couldn't beat the Americans anyway. And Mao said, the Americans will invade China, and if we're going to have to fight the Americans, let's fight them in, in Korea, rather than fight them in China. Yes? What about the story about the Indian ambassador in Beijing that was tried to be sent to tell the Americans? Nonsense. Nonsense. Panikas story was a complete misled and misreading of what Joe and I was his interlocutor. Joe and I was the foreign minister and prime minister in China at the time. He's, he misled the uh, Indian ambassadors to believe that there was still any decision, any any scope of uh, peace that the Chinese would not interfere. The Chinese forces were mobilized and deployed for the Korean uh, border by about August. So the Chinese forces were put in place. And the commander of the Chinese uh, Expeditionary Army, or the People's Volunteers, <coughs> as they were called, was at the time commanding the, a, a group army in Guangdong province in the south. And he was pulled back from the south to take command of the field army in the northeast, which was where he originally came from. So he was a very logical, sensible thing to put him back to command his old unit. And that was the best trained uh, unit in the uh, People's Liberation Army at the time, the fourth field army, Lin Bell's old army. And it was the army that was raised in the northeast in Manchuria during the Civil War. And this was the first wave of the army that would go into uh, Korea. The second wave was the the uh, third field army in East China that was preparing for the invasion of Taiwan, and they were then redeployed from the East Coast, ready for the invasion of Taiwan, to reinforce the army going into North Korea as the second wave. Because Lin Bell, who had fought against American-trained Chinese divisions in the Northeast, understood how difficult it was to destroy organized, well-trained American units, and therefore asked for that reinforcement, and those were sent. So that preparation was a very large scale. I mean, you're going to go back to 1949 with the very decrepit railway systems to transport 
very large group of army from the south all the way to the north. Couldn't happen in a short period of time. So the issue of the buffer state is that if the North Koreans were to implode, the South Koreans would take over North, South Korean government, the United Korean government will take over the nuclear weapons that the North Koreans will have. Is that a given? Is that an automatic thing? Well, I mean, some, somebody will have to take over those weapons. So if North Korea collapses, implodes, who will, send, who will send forces over to take over control? Even if it's the UN batched, it will be South Koreans. I mean, who will have a large enough army to go to do that? It's Chinese. The Chinese have contingency plans to deploy forces into North Korea. So the Chinese can easily send about 100 to 200,000 troops into North Korea. It's pretty hard to see how the Americans will particularly want, or the South Koreans will, will want, 100 to 200,000 Chinese troops in North Korea. The only other countries that will have enough troops that can go into North Korea will be South Koreans. So the South Koreans will go, whatever banners they may be flying, and once they're in North Korea, again, whatever banners they will be flying, they will be South Korean forces in occupation of North Korea. And they will take control of the nuclear weapons. And 60%, I think, in the last poll of South Koreans are in favour of their state being nuclear-armed. Well, we don't know what will happen then. But what we, what we will know is that the Americans will want to get rid of all nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula. So will, essentially, the bulk of the UN. Mm. The South Korean government or the United Korean government may be less willing to, to get it done immediately. Your 60% opinion poll comes to it. I, I, I'm not trying to say that the South Korean government would definitely want to keep them. I think they would probably want to have a bit of time to think about it, to decide what they want to do, how they want to manage it, and all that sort of thing. So you're going to have a very, very tense relationship between the United States and the new United Government of Korea. And the whole idea that the Americans will then be allowed by that United Korean government to move American forces from South Korea all the way to the Yalu River, the border with China. Why would any Korean government agree to that? And what would be the Russian debt for the Americans to ask for it? American defense in the Pacific is maritime and air defense. They don't need this. The, the bases on the Korean Peninsula are not essential for the naval and air strategy strategic defense of the, of the American interest in the region. They have no reason to keep ground forces there. So the idea of losing the buffer stay is not a, not a real one. So if the North Korean regime falls and there's still nuclear weapons in, in the territory, whoever takes over these territories, so the reason for American the reason for America to have a problem has disappeared then, because it's not a threat anymore. Exactly. So why would America still be involved? Then? Why do they just... Well, the Americans will probably pull, the Americans will probably pull back, yeah. but they will want to make sure the nuclear weapons will be taken out it's of the Korean Peninsula. It's panic about what's happening about the weapons, it is the destabilizing factor, isn't it? Exactly. They need to make sure the North Korean, North Korean, the northern part of the Korean Peninsula is stabilized and denuclearized. And the new United Government in Korea will have the capacities to maintain that stability and order and prosperity in the region. I mean, that would be American national interests. And that of the interests of the international community. So that's not a realistic threat for China. Why then would the Chinese still not try to resolve a North Korean pop, uh, problem? This, I'll put it to you, that if we try to understand it with conventional international relations theory, including realism, it doesn't work. Because a lot of what we have gone so far is based on realism. It doesn't work because the Chinese calculations of national interests 
is not being done in the way we normally do it with national interest calculation. The political system is a Leninist party state. The national interest calculation is first and foremost the interest of the Communist Party. Only secondarily that of China. And the calculation of interest of the, of the Communist Party requires the fraternal Leninist state of North Korea whose existence is dependent on Chinese support not be allowed to collapse. If North Korea were to collapse, what would it, how would it be seen in China? That the Communist Party of China, I mean, a lot of Chinese hate the fact that China is subsidizing the North Koreans. They don't like that. But if, but they all know the North Korean regime exists because of the subsidies that they pay by order of the party. And if the North Korean regime is allowed to collapse, it means the party no longer wants the subsidies to happen. Because the party no longer has the will and the capacity and the commitment to keep this one of the last remaining Leninist regimes alive. Now, if the Communist Party of China can't keep a dependent Leninist regime to survive, um, does it still have the capacity and the determination and the political will to keep itself in China? Now, at the moment, no. this is not a question that people in China ask. If North Korea is allowed to collapse, it may be beginning of that question being asked. I'm not saying that it will be asked loudly and vocally, but that doubt will emerge. And how can any Chinese person not seriously believe that, see, or assume that the Chinese government under Xi Jinping had played second fiddle to the Trump administration, which wants to resolve the North Korean issue, and China went along with it. Um, it didn't Xi Jinping say that he's going to make China great again? How do you make China great again and put China first if you actually end up making America great again and putting America first? Mm, yuck. You've got a problem there. Now that, I think, is far more serious of an issue for the Chinese Communist Party than anything else. And that will almost therefore ensure the Communist Party of China will not want to help the United States to resolve the problems. There's more reasons to it. There's more, more reasons that your conventional realism can explain and also still uh, figure. What essentially is the North Korean problem? The North Korean problem represents a failure of American policy over at least 20 years. From since the Clinton administration seriously trying to work out a, uh, a program to make sure the North Koreans do not, did not develop a nuclear weapon program. 20 years on, things have got substantially worse. And the Americans, through different administrations, Democratic and Republican have completely and utterly failed to make the situation any better and only make it worse. Now, as a result of that, it's creating enormous tensions for the American alliance systems in the region. The Japanese are very uncomfortable. The South Koreans are like sitting on a hot pan, even for good reasons. And neither of them are completely entirely sure that they could trust the Americans. Is that a situation that is so disadvantaged to China? If it's 
Sorry, Yo, no, you go ahead. If it's to disadvantage to China, if it's so unstable, it creates the, the resolution to the problem that, that, that China doesn't want. If it gets to that point, yes. But if it doesn't get to that point, then no. Now, you don't have to resolve that problem to make sure that it doesn't get to your scenario, which is a good point. And that's why I would say the Chinese policy towards the Korean Peninsula is one of containment, not a resolution. They don't have a reason to resolve the problem, because if they resolve the problem, they are helping the Americans to get out of a hole in which the Americans have been digging themselves deeper in the last 20 years. So they have no reason to help the Americans out of this particular predicament. Yes? Is there, <clears throat> is there no pressure within the Chinese Communist Party to say that this, this North Korean government is a, is a bad thing on any humanitarian level? Is there no pressure within the Chinese Communist Party to say that, you know, that that type of regime is an abomination and we should do something? So, is there any internal pressure not within in China? Not in those terms. Um, as far as the Chinese government is concerned, that is an unwise regime, and the regime should have followed the Chinese advice and moved in the Chinese direction. But it was not a regime that is an abomination. It's not a regime that the Chinese government fundamentally disapproves of. It's like what China was like 35 years ago. Right. So they don't have they don't have a humanitarian problem with the with with the or a moral uh, sort of no moralizing. I mean, where they do have strong dislike was the blatant disrespect, and that is an an English understatement. <laughs> a blatant disrespect that North Korean regime, North Korean leader has shown to Xi Jinping. Right. Since Xi Jinping came to power in 2012, Yang Kim, who was already leader in, in North Korea, he's been there in place six years, has never went to China, never once paid his respect to the man who writes the checks to bankroll his regime and bail him out of bankruptcy. Not like my daughter then. <laughs> well, I, 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 with all due respect, I'm afraid that the young Mr. Kim probably was more, much more successful than your daughter was, <laughs> could possibly be. So uh, just sure. if a miscalculation, as many people are calling it, happened to occur, which precipitated some form of military uh, involvement from either side uh, that started to escalate, how would China react then? What the Chinese have said is that if, it, if the Americans should use force as a result of a blatant North Korean provocation, they would do nothing. They will not respond. The Treaty of Alliance and Mutual Defense with North Korea would not kick in. If the Trump administration were to go in and provoke, to take a preemptive strike against the North Koreans, watch that space. That's what they have said. Now, they will not decide what to do until that time has actually happened. Um, I think we need to get back to this point. Um, I, I will try to get back to this point later, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. sure. um, so essentially, I don't think the, Ch the Chinese will go anything more than just contain the problem for the uh, Korean crisis. And the Chinese are also not and this sounds almost callous. They were not all that worried if the North Koreans should ever strike against a neighbor in the first instance, and if that neighbor happens to be Japan. 
and it's not a completely unrealistic scenario. I mean, I would be very surprised if the North Koreans will actually do that. But if the, if the North Koreans were to go use the nuclear weapons against somebody, one, I mean, there's no reason why they would just use one, but if they were going to just use one nuclear weapons against any, other, any country, it would almost certainly be Japan. It will not be the United States because the ministry should one at the United States, they have signed their own death warrant. There will not be a North Korea left uh, within hours. They know that. <laughs> yeah, well. They would probably prefer not to do it to, to South Korea because they're A, fellow Koreans, and B, a bit too close. So most likely it will be Japan. Not exactly a target that the Chinese are particularly sentimental about. <laughs> <laughs> no. Are you sure the Americans wouldn't um, um, retaliate? Or, 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 or I mean, I'm sure the Americans will retaliate. I think if, if, if Japan were nuke, I have no questions the Americans will be using force. Whether the Americans will the use nu nuclear, nuclear weapons to retaliate or not, I don't know. If, Ameri if mainland USA were attacked with the nuclear weapons, I think you can expect oh, a nu yeah. nuclear retaliation. Um, but if you're looking at in Japan being nuke with one city, the Americans will respond. But whether it will be a nuclear response or not, I think that's an open question. Um, the Americans have many options to, to, uh, to retaliate. Mm. He's hungry for war. Hmm? Yeah. No, it's very frightening. But the Americans' is, the case is very, very, very frightening. So I think what really is China's policy is to try to get the Americans to accept North Korea as a de facto nuclear weapon state and simply contain but not remove the tension. China gets more out of it than any other solution because it remains indispensable. And it's Chinese diplomacy that will be gaining the uh, credence for it. Uh, yes? Is this a long-term solution? I mean, at some point, some way or the other, if you keep the In the long term, we're all there. I mean, why would the Chinese policymakers be any more long-term than British or Americans? At, at some point, someone has to make long-term calculations or not, or it doesn't matter. It's just, as it comes, they will well, I mean, as long, as long as the situation is contained, mm -hmm. the North Koreans don't actually, actually attack, but cause a lot of, te of, of tension and get the Americans to have to go to Ch Beijing to ask for more help. What's not to like about it? Um, this can be for 10 months, 10 years. It can even go on for 100 years. But who will, I mean, <laughs> Where on earth do you find a politician who will think about 10 years, let alone okay, 100? Okay. But I, I still want to challenge your, your, your idea that the Chinese could, could, could live with the odd nuke on Japan. Because um, um, even if you think that the, the, the Americans would not follow the same logic as you said with China, that they couldn't afford, you know, afford to, to, to lose this, uh, this bastion, even if you, you don't think it applies the other way around. It automatically means, surely, that China is going to face very quickly uh, a nuclear-armed Japan and a nuclear-armed South Korea. Even if the North Koreans plonked one on the far island of Japan, it would still um, it make, make the nuclear arming of Japan and South Korea absolutely irresistible. And I can't see China's life in that. Well, China lived with nuclear, nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula until the 1990s. That's when the Americans pull them out. The Americans still have nuclear weapons in Japan. Um, a nuke is a nuke. Whether it's labeled Japanese or Americans, it's still a nuke. No, they wouldn't like that. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. They wouldn't like that. Um, but it's not enough of a deterrence or incentive for the Chinese to actually do something about it. I mean, if the Chinese assessment is changed, to the North Koreans being more likely to, in fact, to use their nuclear weapons on China for failing to come to their assistance, I think they will respond in a very different kind of way. 
Um, but at the moment, there's no reasonable re reasons for them to assume that the North Koreans will use the nuclear weapons on them rather than on the, on, on the Japanese. And that's why I think they're actually quite relaxed about it. It's not something that actually motivates them to feel that they have to take action. I mean, it's a bit like the Americans aren't actually really that worried about the North Korean uh, nuclear threat until the North Koreans developed long-range uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that they could hit continental USA. Uh, the North Koreans have capacity to hit Japan for three or four years now. Uh, the Americans are not doing anything about it. Yes. Just, just coming back to the situation inside China again, is there any concept that the Communist Party of China has boxed itself into a corner, that it's taken a stance on the North Korean problem, and because it doesn't want to lose face or something like that, it can't change its direction over North Korea? Is there anything like that happening in China? The, the in general terms, yes, but is the, the general terms has to be very heavily qualified. The Communist Party has a monopoly of the truth and of the history. It rewrites them when it shoots them. <laughs> so, like no, they, 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 they seriously managed to do that. Um, if you go back into history, all the way until the post-Mao period, 1980s, Japan was a good, was actually not a bad. Uh, country in, in, in the way how Mao's China portrayed it. In the 60s, when Japanese socialist leaders visited China and apologized for the war, Chairman Mao famously told them, you've got nothing to apologize for. If you had not invaded Chiang Kai-shek's China, I wouldn't be here. The Chinese people have you to thank for the invasion. No Chinese ever now know that. Because that bit of history has been rewritten. The Japanese have always been evil devils, and it's the Communist Party that won the war. The Communist Party didn't fight in the war. <laughs> well, they did, but not much. They lost. It's, it's, a, it's a war that caused over 170 Chinese generals in combat, including full generals. The Communist Army lost one general in the entire war period, mm. not in the war efforts. There's only Ch one Chinese communist general who died in the course of that eight years of war, and he wasn't facing the front. And that was the difference of, of, of the intensity of the war. Now, if you go to ask any young Chinese, the communists won the war for us. The Pacific didn't matter. The Americans didn't do very much. We won the war. So if they could do that, they, they could change the narrative exactly. if they really want to. Um, but I'm not quite sure they didn't necessarily want to. And what the Chinese also want is not to completely end North Korea's isolation. A full resolution also ends North Korea's isolation. And North Korea can move on and do whatever North Korea wants and become a bit of a paint on the side for the Chinese. The Chinese want the North Koreans to still be dependent on them. They may not like to subsidize them, but they also love subsidizing them. Because if you don't subsidize them, you don't have leverage. And so I think what Chinese policy amounts to is that there should be no war, no regime collapse, and no resolution. Just containment and keep the thing going. Now, where I think we need to be much more worried about is not actually Chinese policy. It's what's going on in Washington. I mean, what is coming out in Washington, the atmosphere, I, I, I've been involved in some of the so-called 1.5 um, uh, talks, and what comes out of Washington is very, very frightening. The talk of military options is very serious. And even, even people like Mattis and McMaster's are not saying that military options are off the table. They are saying that military options are on the table. Um, 
the difficulty with the military option is not that the Americans cannot destroy North Korea. They can. There are multiple ways. Even without use of nuclear weapons, they can actually destroy North Korea if they really want to. The problem really is the reality that Seoul is within the range of conventional artillery in North Korea. And there are something like 10,000 or around that kind of figures of North Korean artillery in the border that could potentially reach Seoul. And there's no military in the world with today's technology that can take out anything between seven to 10,000 pieces of artillery in one go with in an hour or less. And, and within that kind of time frame, even if that could be done, which can't, even if that could be done, they could still be lopping enough shells to kill hundreds or hundreds of thousands of South Koreans in Seoul. Uh, is, is everybody in the international community happy that that is the, the truth of it, that there is that much artillery in North Korea pointing at Seoul? Is it, is it just one of these things that gets repeated, or is there actually uh, an assessment that that is the case? I mean, the... We don't we, 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 we don't we don't we don't know for sure. And what we do know for sure is that the North Koreans do have enough artilleries to get into that that kind of quantity. And most of them would be what we would call museum pieces. Uh, we would not use them in any Western army. Uh, because even artillery has become a lot more precise. So your old-fashioned artilleries that the North Koreans use, we won't use them. But they are there. And they can, they can still fire shells. They still hurt. <laughs> and when you're firing at a city, you don't need precision. Yeah. Uh, now, how many US troops are based in Seoul in the, in the, the army bases? And would that ever factor in their calculations? There are about 20,000 American troops in South Korea, a bit over 20,000 South Korea all together. Most of them in uh, are army, uh, but a significant number of them are actually Air Force and Navy, uh, particularly Air Force. So you are talking about thousands of American troops within the Seoul region. The Americans moved their base a bit further south earlier, so there are fewer of them immediately in the line of fire. But you still have... There's a significant American population in, in Seoul. So yes, th there will be American casualties. I mean, that was the whole point of it, uh, of, of, of the tripwire uh, deterrence, that because Americans will be killed in the event of an artillery barrage against Seoul, therefore the Americans will respond, and therefore that deterrence would work and that the North Koreans won't do it, because the North Koreans will know there's no way that they can attack without triggering an American response. Sorry, um, since everything so far seems to be even more pessimistic than I imagined it, but the, the, this question about deterrence, I mean, it was notable, was it Brandon or Brandon got the sack for admitting, he repeated what he'd been briefed by the generals, that, they, that the US was deterred from an attack because of this potential artillery barrage. And it struck me that, that was, there were all kinds of reasons why he should have had the sack, but that was the wrong reason. Because admitting to being deterred is, all, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, well, it's how, the, 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 I would argue, the Cold War stayed cold. That, you know, the idea of, you know, if you could, both sides could admit to mutually assured deterrent. In other words, you could admit that you were deterred by the other side, which is, um, and, and that's what he did. And to admit to being deterred is a detente, is, is in Cold War terms, is, was a slight glimmer of hope to me. Uh, but his sacking, for, you know, was not. But anyway. Well, admitting the Americans can be deterred, I don't think necessarily is that much of a problem because... That is an assumption that the rest of the world have been working on uh, ever since the end of the Korean War, that the Americans won't attack. 
and likewise, the Americans maintain enough of deterrence against the North Koreans, and therefore the North Koreans and the Chinese won't attack either. I have no particular love for nuclear weapons. But if the North Koreans develop the nuclear weapons and are not using the nuclear weapons to, to blackmail the rest of the international community, we can live with that. We live that with that when, when India and Pakistan acquire nuclear weapons. We live with that with, when Israel acquired nuclear weapons. Um, distasteful as it may be, we can live with that with North Korea acquiring uh, nuclear weapons. It's not something fundamentally unacceptable. The Trump administration said it is simply not acceptable. But I don't see why the rest of the world cannot live with that if that is completely contained. Even South Korea and Japan can live with that under an American nuclear umbrella. Are China likely to increase the level of sanctions uh, to the level that, uh, that the USA are pushing for at the moment, which is to, to choke them off? No. No, because the, the, the Trump administration is very unlikely to do what will be required to get the Chinese to do it. If the Trump administration will basically say, apply the sanction or fix North Korea or full-scale trade war, the Chinese government will do it. I mean, everything I said about why the party wouldn't want to do anything about uh, North Korea is a serious potential existential threat. It's a serious potential existential threat. A full-scale trade war with the United States is an existential threat to the regime's survival. The economy will collapse in a, in a full-scale trade war with the United States. And the Communist Party will have huge difficulties staying in power in that scenario. So they will, when, when that is to be the choice, it's not difficult to see what they will choose to do. It's not credible to the Chinese. I don't think the Chinese take that seriously. Because a full-scale trade war will also means millions of American jobs being lost in continental USA. And hundreds of billions of American investments in China being wiped out. No Chinese government believes that any US administration can do that. And therefore, that threat from the Trump administration is not credible. And that's why the Chinese don't act on it. And the Chinese are still, I'm not sure they fully understand the, the mood in Washington in the Trump administration in terms of the propensity to use force and thought that they could get away with it. Um, it is when people like Mattis and McMasters and Kellys, uh, generals who un really understand what the implication of that sort of things were, are not coming out and basically say, no, it is not credible. We cannot do it. People like Trump doesn't understand what is the, the real consequences of it. George W. Bush didn't understand the consequences of the invasion of Iraq. Dick Cheney didn't understand the implications of it. Those just went on, went, went to do it because somebody else would pick up the pieces. The generals understand what the consequences would be. And so you're saying the generals are not Giving what, what, I'm, what I'm hearing from Washington is that none of the three generals are within the administrations saying that we can't do it. If they, if they say it in public, it doesn't really matter. The public is for public consumption. It's what were they saying in private? I think that's, that's, that's the worrying thing. In private, they are not saying we can't do it. The only constraint at the moment is a U.S. government commitment that it will not take unilateral military actions in the, in the Korean Peninsula without the agreement of the South Korean government. And the South Korean government will not agree because it means a lot of South Koreans will die in that process. And this is the only real constraint on the Americans. If the Americans go and say, forget about what the South Korean government has to say, we're going to go, go in and do it. Then we're, then, then we are in trouble. 
And I'm not sure the Chinese fully understand that that risk is not negligible. The Russians are very peripheral in this. I mean, the Indians even more peripheral. The Indians don't really have much. Well, they, have weapons of their own, right? they have nuclear weapons. They have no leverage on the Chinese. They are very about the, very very about the Chinese. Um, the Indians also don't have real any real leverage in Pyongyang in North Korea. The the Russians have some leverage on uh, the North Koreans, but very very little. The North Korean economy is not dependent on the Russians, and their techno technologies are not that dependent on the Russians. The Russians have been selling them much of military hardware for a long, long time. So the, the Russians are the yeah. so the Russians are very peripheral. And, and so you don't think, even however small it is, that the two thousand or so American troops in in Seoul. That wouldn't act as a political constraint, you know. If, they, they, if that was to result in an attack from North Korea from the artillery, artillery strikes, but, but how that would be viewed back home if, if you know, any loss of American life as as a bad thing? Well, I mean, we are we are getting into sort of uh, speculative uh, scenarios. Um, if the Trump administration should decide to take military action. They, 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 they could give a, a couple of hours of warnings to the, basically evacuate the Americans from certain areas. That would, that would send the whole South Korean frenzy, presumably, because as soon as they see South Korea, the army base is being evacuated, what, what, what would happen then? Well, it depends on what kind of yeah. strikes they were talking about. I mean, I, I don't think we are, anybody is seriously looking at a full-scale uh, invasion of North Korea. I, I don't think that is a sort of very serious, serious one. You're potentially looking at precision strikes by missiles against specific North, North Korean targets. And there's always an a possibility that North Koreans will not respond by escalating. Um, that's what happened in Syria. Uh, Trump could calculate that he would get away with that. Now, I, I personally, I, I would look at North Korea very, very differently from, uh, from Syria. I think young Mr. Kim will have a problem if he did not retaliate. So I think that kind of miscalculation can be very serious. Uh, but they could, I mean, if they're looking at precision strike, they don't have to evacuate anybody on the assumption that nothing is going to happen. And then if Americans get killed, then they have a, a justifiable grounds to escalate to a much larger scale operation. Uh, One aspect I've lost track of in today is how powerful militarily is China versus the United States? You know, if this thing really goes to the nth level of conflict, uh, is China on a par with the United States now? Not by a long way, yet. Right. I mean, if you're talking about an American invasion of China, I, I think the Americans would be extremely stupid to do that. They won't get away with it. <laughs> but if you're talking about projecting power outside of the national boundaries in an operation like uh, Korea, I don't think, I don't, I mean, I, don't serious, I don't think seriously the Chinese are expecting to send in ground forces to reinforce the, the North Koreans. And therefore, in terms of naval and air capabilities, the gap is very big, yet. So that is still a constraint on the Chinese reaction to whatever may or may not happen? If it is a, mainly an air and sea operation, um, the Chinese will get a very, very ruddy nose. I mean, what the calculation would be that if you are looking at that kind of a scenario, the Chinese Air Force and Navy will suffer very, very badly against the Japanese Self-Defense Force. All oh, right, okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Not to say the Americans. I think I've heard projections of about 72 hours for the complete destruction of the Chinese Air Force. Really? By the United States. 
because we see, we hear so many news stories about the technological improvements in the Chinese military. Oh, they have improved yeah. hugely. But it's not. They're not. Iron Age, Bronze, Bronze Age, Iron Age, doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the, the Americans will manage to do it in 72 hours. Mm-hmm. I think that was but roughly the projections about the structure really of right, Chinese naval and air power against the United States. But if, 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 if they won't stand much to judge off a chance. I mean, bearing in mind in the Iraq War, the Iraqis had the most sophisticated integrated air defence network on the planet, and the Americans took it out in one night. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, the, the Iraqis. Um, Technology is much, much older. I mean, the Chinese are having... I was talking about the first Gulf War, the relative. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. But the Chinese are deploying the uh, S-400 uh, air defense systems. I mean, those, those are pretty difficult to take out. I, I'm sure the Americans will, but probably not as quickly as... As they think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... That brings us to three o'clock on that cheerful note. <laughs> I want to thank our speaker for an interesting and informative we, we talk. We do indeed.